Okay, this year is dedicated to Inui Nishmat Rabbi Yamin Rabbi Shayau Akohen Zichrono Lidvacha, dedicated by his granddaughter Chavi Newman Hirschman, very good friends of ours. I wish them well and that the Neshama should have an Aliyah. What I'd like to do, uh, we've talked in the past years, we've talked a lot about the Mishkan, about the Tabernacle, but I don't think we ever talked about what happened after Matan Torah, which was something terrible happened, right? It's called, we call it the Egel Azahab, the Golden Calf, and the Golden Calf was somehow engineered, engineered by the Erev Rav. So the first thing, so I would like to talk about this idea of an Erev Rav, of this, uh, <coughs> well, we'll see what Rashi says. The Pesukim in Shemot, the first, the first Pesukim on the sheet, by Yisrael Sukota, right, they went to a place called Ramses, to a place called Sukkot, which of course created uh, uh, interesting exegesis, you know, like why would the place be the same as the name of the holiday? There's some kind of, obviously it was a place where people built Sukkot, but it wasn't clear whether it's called Sukkot in our tradition because of us or because of somebody else, like other people built Sukkot, and it was called Sukkot. But that doesn't concern us right now, except that it does say, So the number that is, uh, even if you say it's not precise, 600,000, I mean, how could it be exactly 600,000? But they would be, a, it's a very large number. And it's the number of, of males, probably the number of males that could be conscripted into the military. So that means that the actual number of B'nai Yisrael must have been in the millions, right? 600,000 equals millions. But that's not so interesting. What is interesting is the next pasuk. The next pasuk says, Regam Erev Rav, Allah Itam. And with them, at the time of Yitziat Mitzrayim, was Erev Rav. The word Erev means a mixture, like letarev, like getting mixed up. Rav just means big. There was a lot of them. So besides the 600,000 Jews, which is equal to a couple of million, there was also a large number of people who were separate. You, could, you knew them. And they were the Erev Rav. Right, they were the Erev Rab that were distinguishable. Rashi says, Miram Sei Sukota, Mesmea Vesrim Mil, Ayu Ubao Sham Lefisha Ash and Emar, Itchem Al Kanfei, and the Sharif. It took them no time to get from one place to another because the Pasuk says, Vesatchem Al Kanfei, the Sharif was as though I brought you on the wings of eagles. Right, eagles are quick. Good at, very good on short distances, right? That's what Rashi says. He says, if you look at the Pasuk, it says, The males excluding the children. Males excluding the children. So Rashi says, another way of saying that, another way of saying that is, 20 years and above. So, like I said, there were a lot more than 600,000. If there were 600,000 males, 20 years old and older, the camp of Israel was, was tremendous, right? And then Rashi explains who's the Erev Rav, or what is the Erev Rav. Ta'aruvot umot shogerim. Ta'aruvot, mixture of nations, of Gerim, of <coughs> what? Of those who con converted. Now, conversion at this time, at the time of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, is not an obvious idea. It's not clear to us what conversion might have meant. 
the Rambam says, the Rambam says that, uh, quotes the Gemara, of course, the Rambam says that, how do we know about conversion? How do we know about what conversion, what the elements in conversion are, right? The elements in conversion are, you know, Mila, circumcision for males, uh, Tvila, some sort of process of purification, and Kabbalat Ol HaMitzvot, accepting the mitzvot in the Torah. <coughs> now, none of this really existed at this time. This is not the way the Erevah would have converted, so the word Gerim could mean those excluded, those outside. Not only the, the word Ger means sometimes converted, so to speak, inside. It could also mean Gerim foreigners outside. So, in any event, what the Pasuk certainly says is that this Erev Rath, whoever they were, was distinct from Bnei Yisrael. You could, you could locate them, you could identify them. They spoke a different language, they had a different look, they had a different way of thinking about things, right? And then, if we look at the story, we look at the story of... Uh, of uh, the Egel Azahab, just to <coughs> quickly. I mean, in this story, every word can be understood in a better way. Every word. So, right? What is Busha? Busha is a kind of embarrassment, but it's more than embarrassment. It's the feeling that Adam and Chava had. The feeling that Adam and Chava had after <coughs> after they were uh, they ate from the Eitz Adat. What? Shame. Shame. Right. That well, shame is associated with doing something wrong. Right? And Adam and Chava learned that they could do something wrong. That was like, like a, a monumental moment in uh, world history. So here, Boshesh Moshe, it could mean that they thought that Moshe, it's like a way of saying, it's like a poetic way of saying Moshe just didn't come down from the mountain. But they thought Boshesh Moshe, that there was something wrong. I mean, without, I mean, you could think on your own about it, but what it is exactly that people thought, but they, they didn't think that Moshe Rabbeinu was late. They thought that something had happened. Something was wrong. And this is like the duality in the story. After all, what was Aaron? Aaron represented Moshe Rabbeinu. But Moshe Rabbeinu was the real person involved. So that if for some reason you lost faith in Moshe Rabbeinu, you should also lose faith in Aaron, who was just his representative. But here, you have this beginning of the duality of the story. <laughs> so now we have it. We have it. That... that uh, uh, as a result of Yitziat Mitzrayim, I mean, there was a, some sort of educational process that was going on. Not only that God was great, and that God was strong, and that God, but there was something else that Bnei Yisrael learned about God, and that was Yelech Lefaneinu, that God will lead us. They were, after all, on their way from Mitzrayim to Eretz Canaan. I'm going to stop off at Har Sinai in order to get the Torah, but HaKadosh Baruch <coughs> had promised to lead them. They were going to have a leader. So it says, Kuma Seilanu Elohim As we were promised. That's what B'nai Yisrael meant. So that means that Boshesh Moshe meant that they felt that the original promise that they would be led to Eretz Canaan had been abrogated somehow. That God was not with them, was not leading them. 
So Moshe is connected to God and to the promise that God will lead them. And now that Moshe Rabbeinu somehow is not with them, <coughs> we don't know what happened to Moshe Rabbeinu. So we need new direction. We need somebody who will be able to direct us to the leadership of God. And so Aaron, for some reason or other, after all, Aaron, Aaron was in Mitzrayim and he knew about the Egyptians and he understood the Erev Rav, I suppose, I might not say that, but it makes sense. Aaron lived his whole life in Mitzrayim, his whole life. And even though he was one of the B'nai Levi, right? He was a Levi. And you know that the Rabbam quotes that Medrash at the end of the first paragraph of Chota that says <coughs> that the Leviim were excluded from labor, from doing labor in the Mitzrayim, and they dedicated themselves entirely to learning Torah. Now, uh, I think you could ask that question. Like, why did the Rambam say that? I mean, I can understand, you know, we could read all kinds of things in the Medrashim, and we're kind of used to that. But if it's a non-halachic piece of information, and there's no way to validate or to verify that information, why did the Rambam, why the Rambam include it? It would say, like, simply, if you didn't know who the Rambam was, you would say, well, obviously he thought that you can't live without somebody learning Torah. So even though the Torah hadn't been given yet, right, that people didn't know the Torah in the sense that we talk about the Torah, but the rabbi <coughs> accepts the idea that from Avram and Yitzhak and Yaakov and Yosef, they were all learning something. They were keeping themselves going with, uh, with, uh, uh, with Talmud Torah. It's like going back to the beginning, like in the Rambam's own time, what did it mean to be Jewish? It only meant to, to learn Torah and to do mitzvot. So the same thing must have been true in some way before Matan Torah, right? Interesting speculation, right? But that's what the Rambam, that's what the Rambam said. So Aaron said, bring me the rings. Okay, I mean, we could talk about the status of the men and the women and why women wear rings and men don't wear rings so much, but, you know, I guess they do sometimes. Immediately, they acceded to Aaron's demand. It could be that Aaron thought they wouldn't agree and it would be a stay of execution, but they did agree and they did it. Uh, <coughs> they came immediately Right? And they met, made this Egel. So, like, again, who's, who's making the Egel? Who would you say is making the Egel? Everybody. It sounds like everybody. The only way that I can understand that is that even though they understood the position of Abraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov, which was monotheistic. In Mitzrayim, in Mitzrayim, they kind of learned to be appreciative of the of, of a different position, and, and you know, you know how it is. <coughs> People can sometimes insist that they believe in two different things at the same time that seem to contradict each other. But that doesn't doesn't bother anybody because say, well, that's we're talking about heaven. We're talking about we're talking about God. We're talking about Anything is possible. You can have one thing, you can have another thing. It's, it's, all, it's all perfectly reasonable. It's all, all perfectly reasonable. Uh, uh, <coughs> the Jews traditionally felt that Christianity, uh, uh, the Catholic version, which is what they knew at the time of, of the Rambam, was idolatrous because it was connected to all kinds of very strange ideas that might have indicated that they believed that there wasn't a single God, but there was some kind of multiplicity of gods. 
But if you would ask a Catholic walking in the street how many gods are there, he would say one. So it didn't bother him, he, the Catholic, walking in the street, that, you know, that he was simply, that he adopted strange positions. So I'm, I'm trying to just explain how B'nai Yisrael, having just, having just received the Torah and experiencing the presence of God, feeling the loss of Moshe Rabbeinu, Boshesh Moshe, feeling that loss, could come to the conclusion that they could build a golden calf and that that would be helpful. That would be helpful because, after all, of the two Dibrot, of the two Dibrot that they heard, without a doubt, clearly from heaven, Anochi Hashem Elokecha, singular, I am God, your God, right, singular, only one, and lo yelecha Elohim achirim al panai, it shouldn't have any other kind of mention of God. In spite of that, here they are building the Egel Hazahav, right, Pasuk, uh, pasuk Dalet, Vaykach mi Adam, Vayatsar et, oh, let's just, uh, I, I may have missed here something, uh, you see that in the fourth line so in other words they're looking for leadership they're looking for divine leadership they're looking for somebody who can lead them further so what do they say so here it is this egel this golden calf that we just made has led us to, uh, from Mitzrayim to where, wherever we are and will continue to lead us. So I want to look at the Rashi. <coughs> you have to turn the page, I think. You have to turn the page. Yisrael, that's the sixth line. Sixth line. So Rashi says, Eile Elohecha, these are your singular, this is your singular God, and not our plural God, Mikan. Uh, Rashi says, this pasuk proves to us, remember that Erev Rav that was mentioned previously? So the Erev Rav, Shalami Mitzrayim, Heim Shinikalul Aaron, they are the ones who came as a crowd against Aaron. Veheim She'asa'uhu, and they are the ones who made it. Made it, what is it? The golden calf. They made the golden calf. Heim She'asa'uhu, Vachakach, Hituet Yisrael, Acharav. Vachakach, and after they built the golden calf, hitu, right? Hitu is the word ta'ut. They, they got all of B'nai Yisrael involved in this error. So Rashi divides it up into two, two steps. Step one, the ones who are guilty, the most guilty, are the Erev Rav which is like nobody being guilty. I mean, because the area of Rav is not really our concern. Our concern is B'nai Yisrael, and so Rashi said the rest of B'nai Yisrael were involved, but they were duped into it. They did not generate this need to build an Egel Azahab. Okay? Pasuk <coughs> Hei. Pasuk Hei, if you turn back. Pasuk Hei. Vayar Aaron, Vayiven Mizbeach Lefanav, Vayikra Aaron, Vayomar. He says, Vayar Aaron, he saw what was going on. Vayiven Mizbeach Lefanav. Mizbeach is an altar. Mizbeach is an altar. Well, the story of the Mizbeach in the Torah is a story that, uh, that has been told before to some extent, right? We know that Cain and Hevel sacrificed, right? Yes, Cain and Hevel. We know that Noah sacrificed because uh, Chazal even say that the reason 
that the kosher animals went into the ark seven by seven, and the non-kosher animals just two by two, was that Noach knew that he would have to sacrifice. He would give them a sacrifice, so he needed more kosher, he needed more kosher animals. And then we have Avraham. We come to Avraham, well, we did Kain Behevel, and then, then uh, Noach, Avraham. Avraham built a Mizbeach wherever he went, even though it doesn't say about Abraham that he gave a sacrifice. In other words, there are two different things. A mizbeach, we, 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 we have talked about that. A mizbeach and a sacrifice are not the same thing, even though a mizbeach is often used for sacrifices. But another use of the mizbeach is to mark the place where God communicated to someone. So where God communicated to Abraham, that place is marked with Abraham builds a mizbeach. Because when he comes back to that place, I mean, that makes that place a special place. Makes it special for Abraham, it makes it special for, for his children, his grandchildren, so there's a mizbeach. It's not a, a center of worship. So, again, what was Aaron doing? Why even mizbeach with Fanav, why <laughs> what exactly is Aaron doing? Right, so if you look at the uh, look at the Rashi. Vayar Aaron. Vayar Aaron. Shayaba Ruachayim Shinemar. Kitavnit Shor Ochel Eisev. Ayabo Ruachayim. Who had Ruachayim? The Egel. No, the Egel, as I'll say, the Egel was like living and breathing. I mean, what, if it was a living and breathing Egel, so what did you need all the jewelry for? But I, I guess, you know, it was made out of iron or metal, gold and silver and whatever other metals they had, and then it was alive. Shinehemar betavnit shor ochel esem. That it had the form of an ox, and it was eating grass. Who's the antecedent? He saw, who's he? Aaron. Aaron saw that the Satan was hard at work here and doing a good job. And he, he had no way of explaining to them that this was meaningless, this was nothing, right? You understand, this is like, uh, it, <coughs> it was impossible. Here's this Egel Zahab that they built, and there's a living proof. You see that it's not just an Egel Zahab, but it's living. Doesn't that prove something? I mean, whatever it is, I don't know what it proves exactly, but it certainly proves or seems to indicate that the Egel Zahab that they built it was not regular. It wasn't a regular thing. So this is what he says. The apostle says, "Why even mizbeach?" So Aaron built a mizbeach lidichotam to push them away. Chag. What's chag? Chag is a, a special event, right? Was, uh, uh, <coughs> there's a word in Hebrew, bachog. You have to go around which is connected, some people think, because you dance around in a circle sometimes. So in any event, in any event, maybe tomorrow will be a holiday for God. It's like Aaron is saying, in spite of the fact that we built this Egel Zab, in spite of the fact that it's standing there chewing its cud or whatever the Egel does, will be a different day. Perhaps Moshe will show up before you actually serve this abomination. Parentheses. And that's what the Pesach means when it says that he built the Mizbeach. Furthermore, Aaron looked around and he saw Mutav 
שיתלה בה הסירחון ולא בהם one of them brings a stone and the other one brings dirt, right? That's how you build a stone, a stone wall or a stone altar. And then you'll see that, that what they, they want to happen happens immediately. Since I am building it and I am sort of lazy about it, Moshe Ba. So it's like he said, but we need a Mizbeach. It's not enough to have an Egel. We have to also have a Mizbeach. So let's get together and build a Mizbeach. So Aaron thought he could slow down the process. It was until everything is finished, no one is going to serve the Egel Azab. And maybe Moshe Rabbeinu will, will show up. <coughs> so Aaron himself had no way of defending the fact that Moshe Rabbeinu was late. Moshe was late, and Aaron didn't know why. And he, I mean, maybe he was late, maybe he wasn't late, but even Chazal say, Chazal say there was, there was a misjudgment, there was something that was not judged properly. Moshe told them he would stay on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights, and they didn't know how to count the first day. Because the first day was, could have been a half a day. Went up during the day. And, and so... <coughs> It wasn't clear whether that counts as one or not. That's why Aaron said, I just pushed them off till tomorrow. I just make them stay of execution until tomorrow. Maybe everything will then, then be different. So he's, he says, okay, Pasuk Vav. Back to the text. Pasuk Vav. That's a, this is a little annoying, right? Pasuk Vav. They got up the next day. In other words, he convinced them. Not today, but tomorrow. <laughs> I mean, that's what Aaron did. I mean, if you want to know what Aaron's schut is in this story, is that he obviously was against what was happening. He may have had, his diplomacy may have been poor in, in helping B'nai Yisrael, but he certainly tried to put them off, put off this whole process until tomorrow. Right, what is that? Olot and Shlamim, a korbanot. Where did they give the korbanot? On the Mizbeach. And that all took time. It took time to give a korban. So this is Aaron's contribution to trying to make things better. Uh, again Hashem says to Moshe go down of course go down in Hasidut is, is, is fraught with meaning like Moshe Rabbeinu is on Har Sinai receiving the Torah B'nai Yisrael are below, involved in an abomination. And Moshe Rabbeinu is the leader of B'nai Yisrael who has become disconnected from his flock because he's bringing them the greatest gift of all time. <coughs> but the price that B'nai Yisrael have paid for this great gift is that they become disconnected from Moshe Rabbeinu who was the glue that kept them all together. Lech reid, ki shichet amcha sheleitam eretz mitzrayim. They have destroyed everything. They have the ones asher eleitam eretz mitzrayim. So you know, it's like a literary literary kuntz. Ata lech reid, asher eleitam eretz mitzrayim. Right, you go down. You brought them up. Right. <coughs> However, you connect those. Two things. So Rashi says, Rashi and Pasuk Zion. Let's look at the Rashi. 
Okay, we'll do the whole, the, all the Rashi. Lishon Koshi, who, Vayedaber, Vayedaber. In other words, when, when the Torah says, Vayomer Hashem Moshe, that's like nice, that's an introduction to pleasant conversation. Vayedaber Hashem Moshe, that's an introduction to a difficult conversation. Lishon Koshi, who, Kimo, Vayedaber, Itam Kashot, and Rashi brings a proof verse. Lech Reid. Lech Reid. Rashi says, you see it? Lech is horizontal. Reid is vertical. Lech Reid. That's what the Pesach says. Lech Reid. One second. I keep losing the place. One second. Kashay Orif. So God says to Moshe Rabbeinu, like you have abandoned them. And whatever greatness you have is only because you're their leader. But if you're not their leader, if they're not following your directives, then why do you need this greatness? At that moment, what's He was sort of excommunicated. He was placed aside, which means he failed. Right? He failed, Moshe Rabbeinu. It's a terrible thing for Rashi to say. Shichet Amcha. Rashi says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu didn't say to Moshe Rabbeinu, the nation is corrupt. Your nation is corrupt, is what it says. Erev Rav, Shekibalta ma'atzmecha begiyartem velo nevlachta bi. What an accusation. This is like a Rashi Olami. It's worth remembering. Rashi says, Erev Rav, Shekibaltam Atzmecha Begiyartem, Begiyartam, Belonim Lachtabi. Belonim Lachtabi means you didn't, you didn't consult with me. Exactly right. You did. What did you do? You converted them. We don't know what that means. Before Matan Torah, what exactly the conversion was, but poof, Moshe Rabbeinu went, you're all, you're all in. Velo nachtabiva marta, tov sheyid beku geirim bishchina. Your svara, Moshe Rabbeinu, for which you did not consult with heaven, your svara was, tov sheyid beku geirim bishchina. Isn't it better that these gerim, that these foreigners, should cleave to the Shechina rather than being as they were before? Heim shachatu v'ishchitu. They are the ones who destroyed everything and destroyed all the people and created this uh, this need, right? This need, okay. Pasuket, go back to the, go back to Pasuket. When Yom Hashem Moshe Ra'iti Dam Azeh Vinei Akshay Orifu, so you can see this nation is not easily does not easily change, and is not easily adaptable. Uh, so I have to skip a few Pasukim. Let's look at Pasuk. Let's look at Pasuk twenty. Pasuk twenty. Anyways, you know that Moshe Rabbeinu comes down. Moshe Rabbeinu comes down from heaven, and Moshe Rabbeinu is, uh, uh, <coughs> you know, tries to deal with the with this, uh, the the situation. But just look quickly. I'm sorry. Let's go back. Uh, <coughs> 
Rachalim Baselt Cholak Like Gadol Pasuk Yud. Even though Moshe Rabbeinu is accused by Rashi of causing all of this, Hakadosh uh, uh, Baruch Hu says to Moshe Rabbeinu, "You will become a great nation. We'll get rid of everybody else." Pasuk Yud Aleph Echal Moshe Bnei Hashem Elokav Ayom Elav Hashem Ichrabcha Be'Amecha Shorotzei Me'ar To Try Because Gadol Be'Yad Chazakah. So here Moshe Rabbeinu reassumes his role. He reassumes his role, which he was disconnected. He was disconnected from Bnei Israel on Harzin. I imagine, in order to get the Torah, Bnei Israel had to disconnect from Moshe Rabbeinu. And there are many, many indications of that in the end of the parasha of Mishpatim as well. The people were not able to come with Moshe Rabbeinu. They couldn't go beyond a certain point. Only Moshe Rabbeinu could go up on Har Sinai. <coughs> so Moshe Rabbeinu disconnected. So B'nai Yisrael were leaderless. But at the end of the summation, B'nai Yisrael did this terrible uh, uh, transgression. But Moshe Rabbeinu was in the clear. So HaKadosh Baruch says to Moshe Rabbeinu, you will be the father of a new nation. Now we know that Moshe Rabbeinu, that HaKadosh Baruch, so to speak, changed, changed the position, right? HaKadosh Baruch first wanted to destroy all the nation, and then didn't go. So the way we understand, the way we understand God, is it doesn't make much sense to say that God changed God's mind, but that's rather, it's, a, it's an indication of what the reality of the situation is. That Bnei Yisrael deserved at this time to be wiped out, but Moshe Rabbeinu, who, <coughs> who resumed his position of leadership, and you could say that Moshe Rabbeinu was the defense attorney of Bnei Yisrael, appointed by Hakadosh Baruch. And as Rav Nachman of Ratzel points out. If God appoints you as the defense attorney for Bnei Yisrael, you are going to win every case. You can't, you, you can't, there's no other possibility. You have to win the case. So when, when, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu explains to Moshe Rabbeinu that they all deserve to be killed, that they all deserve to be killed, that doesn't mean that Moshe Rabbeinu can't defend them. It just means that there are different realities at the same time that you have to understand. But Moshe Rabbeinu resuming his position as the leader, as the person in charge of Am Yisrael, as the connector between Am Yisrael and HaKadosh Baruch Hu, right, was able to act as the defense attorney for Am Yisrael and win. Even though what Moshe Rabbeinu said may not have been so, uh, so exciting. Like what did Moshe Rabbeinu say? He said this person, person you'd bet. Why will the Egyptians be able to save says, You know, all the Egyptians are going to say that God was a failure. God couldn't get them to Eretz Israel. God could, you know. So says, Don't be angry. It's self defeating. It's self defeating. If you're angry at B'nai Israel, you destroy all of B'nai Israel. So then what are they going to say about God? Now that, of course, on some level, is it's certainly not an argument that is going to convince God of anything. I mean, that, that's kind of uh, ridiculous. But again, what you see is that Moshe Rabbeinu assuming the role of the defender of Am Yisrael is going to win. I mean, not win entirely, but he's going to win. <coughs> he's going to win a lot. He's going to win a lot. So let's go on. Let's go on. Pasuk Tetva 15. Moshe Rabbeinu comes down now from Har Sinai with the Luchot Habrit. Luchot. Luchot Habrit. Luchot Habrit. So he came down with these Luchot. So, so you know that Moshe Rabbeinu had a problem. He was trying to reconnect to B'nai Yisrael, but. But B'nai Yisrael were no longer the people who could take the Luchot from Moshe Rabbeinu. It's like they say, here they are, they're all dancing around the Egel Azab, they're going to take the Luchot. So Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu, conceptually, had no place to put the Luchot. There was no appropriate place at that moment in the entire world for these Luchot that he brought down from heaven. So what's the only thing he could do? The only thing Moshe Rabbeinu could do is he could break them. He could destroy them. And so he threw them down and destroyed them because there was 
no one to give them to. There's no one to give these luchot to. Uh, he just heard the head that's singing and the dancing of idolatry. He took the 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 eagle which they made by and he burnt it up with a fire and he he smashed it up into into a kind of a sandy thing but so you know Rashi in the Rashi way even if you don't remember the Rashi from previous years, when you didn't remember the Rashi. Right, you know, we have all put in a lot of effort into not remembering these Rashi's. It says, You see Pasukov? Look together. And he took this eagle, which they made. One thing he did was, he burnt it up. Vayitchan adashadak, and he crushed it until it was just like fine, very fine sand. Vayizer, what? It's like actually grinding. Okay, yeah, okay, like with a pestle, a mortar and a pestle was like that was the equipment of those days. There was just nothing left of it, right? First he burnt it, and then he crushed it. And then he spritzed it over the water. What could that possibly mean? means he gave it to them to drink. What's it got to do with anything? I understand why Moshe Rabbeinu destroyed the Eikel Azahav. So I, I, I thought that I would think that Tzreifa would be enough. <coughs> he had a fire that was hot enough to make it melt, so it melted, so it's gone. No, okay, you want to grind it up into so tiny pieces like sand. Okay, you dry, you dry. But what is this business about by Yashk at B'nai Yisrael? So, what? Like, like, a, like a, a comparison to a soca? Good. Rashi. Rashi. Rashi's also good. Rashi also had that a good idea. Vayizer, the show Vayizer. Pasukov. Under the word Vayizer, Vayashkit Bene Yisrael, Nit Kavain Lepotkan Kesotot. What's the Bidikavani Shasota? What's the Bidikavani Shasota? There is in the world a Safek. There's doubt. And the Beit Din has no way of resolving the Safek. What does the Safek uh, uh, derive from? A woman was seen by two witnesses. She was in a room and then a man went into the same room and they were alone. Now the witnesses don't know what happened in that room. Whether it was something bad or something very bad. Right? They don't know. So the husband is not happy. And so the Torah says, the Torah says, this safek can be clarified. You give the woman this potion to drink, and if she's innocent, she lives. And if she's guilty, she will die. And as a result, <coughs> as a result, there's clarity. And clarity is a precursor to shalom. Like, you have to, you have to be able to know the reality. And not knowing the reality, isn't it true that very often people argue and then they defend themselves and they each see reality a little differently? You know, that's how it usually is, or it often is, in my limited experience.
reading novels. <coughs> That's what happens. That's what happens. So the sota is a way of clarifying the reality. The Gemara says, pasku sota. The Ramban also quotes that Gemara, Misharabu Haminafim, when when the the, the level of uh, sexual uh, purity went down, and there were many people who were uh, doing things that were wrong, pasku meisota, the meisota did not work anymore. In other words, the Gemara says, in order to have this extra <coughs> extra level of, of clarity that comes through the meisota, you had to be interested Impurity. You had to be the nation at the interested. When the nation lost that, Mesota disappeared. So <coughs> there you have it. Again, Listen to this. There were three different death penalties that came as a result of building the Egel as a hub. Witnesses. Warning, which means that you can go to the Beit Din. Because the Beit Din can paskin as long as there are Eidim and Hatra'ah. Without Eidim and Hatra'ah, the Beit Din, even if they think they know what happened, they can't paskin that it happened. So, <coughs> so if they are Eidim and Hatra'ah, Oveda Varezora, Chayav Saif. Saif is the sword, killed with a sword. Kemishpat, Anshei, Ir, Anidachat, Shehemirubim. And even though there are a lot of people in that category, it's just like Ir Anidachat, a city that, that, that decides to become idolatrous is entirely killed out. Eidim below Hatra'ah. If there are Eidim, but there is, but they did not give Hatra'ah, they did not warn those people that they that they will be punished severely. The Magefa. What's a Magefa? What? Yeah, I mean it means it means God's the hand of God. If if you if the Beitin can't do it, so God will do it. Right? That's what happened. That's the second group, Shidemar. By Gopha Shemitaam, that's the Posuk The Posuk Lamed Hey. You see, on the same page, if you look at the bottom of the page, the last line and there's Rashi. By Gopha Shemitaam, that's the Posuk that Rashi is referring to. Mitabi Deshamayim. Laidim below Hatra'a. If there are witnesses, but they did not give Hatra'ah. They did not warn the people that if they do this act, they will be liable to the death to the death penalty. So, Shinema Vaigabashabitam. Lo Eidim Lo Hatra'ah. If there are no witnesses and there's no Hatra'ah, then Behadrokan. Hadrokan is some kind of a, some kind of sum. Uh, some kind of, uh, I don't know, elixir, some kind of mixture that you drink, so that you drink. They died not of the plague, but they died drinking. They died drinking something, and they, and they, mitzavu uh, bitnehem. Back to the, back to the text. Pasuk Kaf Aleph, Pasuk Kaf Aleph, one second, Kaf. No, let's have to skip, we don't have time. Pasuk Kaf Chet, you see Pasuk Kaf Chet? Vayasu B'nei Levi, B'nei Levi joined with Moshe Rabbeinu in fighting against the, the people who served the, the Egel Azahab, and they, because you know, because they studied Torah in, in Egypt, were not confused about the fact that the Egel Azahab was prohibited. Vayasu b'nei Levi kidvam Moshe v'yipol min ha'am b'yom ahukish loshet alfei 
איש. שלושת אלפי איש, So there were apparently a lot of people left. A lot of people were not involved in the Chayta Egal, according to, didn't fit into these three categories. The ones who were killed with a Sayyid, the ones who were killed with Magifah, the ones who were killed with a Drakom. These three categories, besides that, besides that, I know 3,000 died, there were a lot of other people. Right? Pasuk Lamit, Vayimi Mocharat, Vayom Moshe Laam, on the next day, Moshe Rabbeinu said, Atem Chatatem Chata'a Gedola, so you have to say that the people who died immediately were the ones who actually took part in, in building the Egel. Now they were supported, obviously there was no opposition, they were supported by, by the rest of the Jewish people. They were supported by the rest of the Jewish people. So Moshe Rabbeinu says to them, right? He says to them, he says, Ata el Hashem. Right, again, that word to go up. I will go up to God now. What chatotechem are we talking about? Rashi, achapra biyat chatotechem. You see the Rashi in Pesach Lamed? Asim kofer v'kinuach u'stima l'neged chatotechem l'avdil b'neichem u'vein ha'chet. Asim, I will place kofer. A kofer is a, is, is a, a financial atonement. V'kinuach and cleaning up something and stima and shoving, uh, uh, stopping something, ustima, leneged chatotechem, I will somehow be able to stand in between you and your sin, lavdil benechem uvein hachet, lavdil benechem uvein hachet. Right? Pasuk lamed alef, I'm sorry, pasuk lamed alef, vayashov Moshe l'ashev vayomer ana, it's true. They did this terrible thing. This B'nai Yisrael did this terrible thing. And now one of the most interesting psukim in the Torah. Interesting. Lamed. What? They made it, they did it, they, it was wrong, it was idolatry. It's like talking to God. If you'll bear the burden of this hate, in other words, you could overlook it. I mean, what is it? After all, idolatry at the at the foot of Har Sinai, while Moshe Rabbeinu was getting the same for the, the, the Torah from Hakadosh Baruch. Can you think of anything worse? With difficulty, right? He says, "I mean, there's not even a Yetzirah involved. It's just like, just you know, for your own comfort." <coughs> If you will bear the hate, v'imayin, Moshe Rabbeinu says, v'imayin, mecheni nami sifricha shekatavta. And Rashi said, mecheni na, erase me from the book which you have written. Rashi. Rashi. Pasuk Lamed Aleph. Elohei Zahavat. Hu shegaramta lahem. Remember Rashi? Rashi, God blamed Moshe Rabbeinu. Why did God blame Moshe Rabbeinu? Because he let them in. He opened the door for the Erev Rav to let them into the community. 
Moshe Rabbeinu blames God. Moshe Rabbeinu says, listen to this, according to Rashi, Lavad Aleph, you see Pesach Lavad Aleph? Elohei Zahav, Atahu Shegarabta Lahem. Seven lines from the bottom. Seven lines from the bottom. The first words on the line. You are the cause of the golden God. Shehishpata lahem zahav bekol chavtsam. You allowed them to receive gold and whatever they wanted. Mayasu shelo What could they do? Of course they're going to do, they're going to sin. I mean, you know, you can't have a lot of money and not do something wrong. What? What's the money he's talking about? When they left Mitzrayim, they took, they took all the stuff from the Egyptians. Oh, okay. That was a promise that was made to Avram Avinu. When you leave Mitzrayim, they, your children leave Mitzrayim, they're going to be rich. They're all going to be rich. So Moshe Rabbeinu, according to Rashi, is saying to God, <coughs> it's like a play, you know, like one of these, uh, you know, like a modern day play. I, well, I didn't want to say Theodore Bikel, but I mean, even though he seemed to have been a nice man, but <coughs> that's what it says. Ashpatolem zahavikol chavtsam mayasujelo yechtu. I mean, what's they going to say? I mean, what else did they do with all the gold and silver that they had when they left the tribe? Well, they 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 can't put it, buy stocks with it, so they build a little god for themselves. He says, it's just like the king who was feeding and giving drink to his son and, and adorning him. And he held, put a wallet around his neck. And he puts him in there. He tells him to stand in front of the house of prostitution. Of course he's going to sin. I mean, you know, like you have to realize, you have to realize that there's limits, right? And then Rashi says about that post, if you, if you agree to forgive them, I'm not telling you to erase me from the Torah <coughs> Ayin. But if you don't forgive them, mecheni erase me. Vizem mikret mikratsa katzav mechen abayit. You got to fill in a few words in this pasuk. Misifricha mecheni na misifricha mikol haTorah kula erase me from the Torah entirely. Shelo yemru alai shelo iti kedai levakeshalem rachamim. Erase me from the Torah that people should not say in history, like later on they say, Moshe Rabbeinu couldn't do it. He wasn't really sufficiently powerful as a defense attorney. And so here I could tell you, I'll always tell you, I say, tell you what Rav Nachman said. How Rav Nachman explained this puzzle. <coughs> because even though I've said, I've, I learned it many years ago, I still like it. It's just amazing. If you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, forgive them, as I, Moshe Rabbeinu, have begged you, and since I, Moshe Rabbeinu, am the appointed defense attorney, and since you all understand that if God appoints Moshe Rabbeinu to be the defense attorney, his defense is always going to work. That's the whole idea of having a God-appointed defense attorney. So empty sachatatam if you forgive them. Great. Vim ayin. But if you don't erase me, uh, if you don't uh, uh, forgive them, then what does that mean? That means that I, Moshe Rabbeinu, am not able to perform my role as the ultimate defense attorney. So what happened? Why am I not able to perform that role? What did I do wrong? I didn't do anything wrong. I led B'nai Yisrael. I brought them to Arsinai. I went up on the mountain. I got the Luchot. I mean, why is it that I am no longer, according to this assessment, able to perform as the, <coughs> as the ultimate defense attorney of B'nai Yisrael? Erase me. 
from the book of the Torah. Why erase me? He says, it must be, Moshe is thinking to himself, or thinking out loud, he says, it must be that I've lost my sense of humility. That even though when Moshe Rabbeinu died, right, his epitaph is, Anav Mikol Adam, Anav, because he's the most humble. And why was he the most humble? Because he was the closest to God. He was the closest human to God. And that, of course, is humility, because humility is about knowing a hierarchy. It's the, uh, humility is not about being self-effacing. That's not humility. Humility is having a sense of what's more important and less important. Since Moshe Rabbeinu spent all this time with God, 40 days and another 40 days, right? <coughs> you could not give him anything. You couldn't, you couldn't uh, honor him in any way. You couldn't give him an important place to sit at a meeting. I mean, all these things could not have meant anything to Moshe Rabbeinu. So that's humility. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, if I can't defend B'nai Yisrael, I must have lost the humility that I should have. So why did he lose the humility? What was it that made Moshe Rabbeinu lose his humility? Because he was at Har Sinai, he learned the Torah. And the Torah is full of psukim that say, Hashem el Moshe That's all it says. That posuk. Hashem el Moshe And and that <coughs> Moshe Rabbeinu thought might cause anybody a lack of humility. So Moshe Rabbeinu says, and so if I am not able to defend B'nai Israel. It must be because I've lost humility. Why have I lost humility? Because I've learned the Torah in heaven, and the Torah kept saying, So erase those psukim from the Torah, which are not absolutely necessary. <coughs> they, don't con- they don't contain content. So erase me from those, erase, me from, erase those psukim from the Torah, and then I will regain my standing as the defense attorney of B'nai Yisrael, and I will be able, and I will be able to save them. So, uh, the rest of B'nai Yisrael, not included in the 3,000, and not included in the Eir of Rav, uh, <coughs> was spared by Moshe Rabbeinu's defense, Right, and the last pasuk, next to the last pasuk. Pasuk Lamed Dalit, Vada Lech Lechayet Ha'am. Kodesh Baruch says to Moshe Rabbeinu, you lead again, you'll take them down. Asher Dibadi Lechayinei Malachi, Elech Lefanecha. But there's a change. Remember at the beginning, B'nai Yisrael wanted God to lead them, and they felt bereft of leadership. But now it says, the Pesach says, and what's going to happen is Malachi Yelech Lefanecha. You'll be led by my angel. Not by God, but by the angel of God. And then Rashi, uh, the Pesach says, And when I remember you, when I think about you, and I punish you for whatever you did wrong, Rashi, see Rashi, Yom Pakdi, Three lines from the bottom in the middle of the line in the Rashi. Hashem says to Moshe Rabbeinu, I've listened to you and I have not destroyed them altogether. Always. When I will remember their sins. And I will punish them from heaven for what they've done wrong. I will punish them a little bit also for this particular transgression with all the other transgressions that they have done in time. And there's no disaster that befalls Am Yisrael 
שאין בה קצת מפירעון עוון העגל. So Moshe Rabbeinu won, but he also lost. Moshe Rabbeinu is asking for a total kapara atonement, but that he didn't get. He got a temporary kind of atonement. And of course, <coughs> all those people died in the Chet HaMaraglim. Ultimately, they're all going to die in the Chet HaMaraglim. But Am Yisrael, according to Rashi, Am Yisrael bears the burden of the Chet HaEgel for all time because they were forgiven. Forgiven doesn't mean that the transgression is not, you know, was dis- disappeared. Forgiven means that they weren't punished like the three groups that were punished. But every time something happens in history that demands punishment from heaven to B'nai Yisrael, they will also be punished for the Chayta, for the Chayta Eyal. Okay, have a Does good day. Does anyone disagree with that? Who disagrees? I suppose. Always somebody who disagrees. But whoever disagrees is not Rashi.